0: Welcome to Season 2 of Grey Maybe, a limited series podcast and social experiment based on this season's topic, the body. My name is Jillian Schmitz. I'm a professional dancer, actor, teacher, author, artist, and cat lover. Through my own personal journey of recovery, I've found that things aren't just black or white, or as simple as yes or no. For me, in my recovery, there has been mostly grey area and a lot of maybes. In most of my stories, you can find the grey maybe. I will be sharing my own process through personal stories, interviews, and hopefully stories from listeners in an effort to help lessen the stigma and shame of disordered eating, eating disorders, and body image. If you'd like to share your story of ED recovery on this podcast, anonymous or otherwise, please email graymaybestories at gmail.com. G-R-E-Y-M-A-Y-B-E-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at gmail.com. Before we get started, if you haven't already, Please subscribe on whichever platform you're using to catch future episodes of Gray Maybe. A note before we begin. The topic of disordered eating, eating disorders, body dysmorphia, and other behavior related to the body may not be difficult for me to share anymore, but it wasn't always this way. I recognize and anticipate the possibility of judgment or disbelief about my experiences, ranging from my own family members to strangers, in addition to the potentiality of losing certain opportunities for publicizing my own experiences. My stories and the stories of others on this podcast are told through the lens of our own experience. The revelation of our process is ours to tell. If you disagree with the views or stories on this podcast, Know that we are not speaking on anything other than our own experiences and viewpoints. Take what you like and leave the rest. Nothing expressed or mentioned in this podcast is an endorsement or is meant to be taken as suggestion or advice. It is strictly the sharing of our own experiences and recovery. Any feelings this podcast activates in the listener is for the listener to process and recover from. Any criticism you have based on these experiences and choices are yours. And they are not anyone else's burden to carry. Trigger warning eating disorder, disordered eating, bulimia, anorexia, fat phobia, body dysmorphia. <music> Okay, everybody, welcome to Gray Maybe. Uh, Today's guest I am super excited about because uh, she came out of nowhere. She came into my inbox, which is always so surprising when I get someone, and I never think that they are someone that would be dealing with the same types of, and whatever reason I think that. They are too successful. They are too beautiful. They are too stunning. You know, all those things that they can't possibly have any experience in this realm. So when she came into my inbox, I was stunned. And then I was so excited that she took me up on the offer to come on the pod today to talk. So today's guest is Carrie Lachlan. Now, if you're a dancer of around my age or maybe a little younger or maybe a little older, you know Carrie Lachlan as a professional dancer. That's how I met her. We never got to work together on a project, but we were around each other a lot in social circles. And, um, I always enjoyed seeing her. I always enjoyed, you know, being around her. And then I know that she moved to the East coast, which is the time that we are on right now. I am on West coast time. So I am suffering the early wake up with the hour difference. If you notice some gravel in my voice, I did the best I could to warm it up, but this is, this is as good as it's going to get for now. Um, she moved to the East coast and she's started a whole other career. And I will ask her, but I didn't know if she had already been in this realm or what, but she now is a big HGTV star. She is a TV host. She's a speaker. Um, you may have seen her on HGTV. Uh, she's an organizer and a designer, and she's just fantastic. So I want to bring Carrie Lachlan. Welcome to Grave Baby. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so excited to have you. So so, I didn't know, (laughs) I didn't know I was missing you in my life and on the pod until you hit me in the inbox. So I'm so excited that you're here. Is there anything you want to add to the intro? Correct any of my, uh, any of my things, anything you want to add uh, professionally? No,
1: no. I think, um, I just, we, yeah, we never got to work together. We, we hung out together, but we never got to work together. I felt like we we knew each
0: other socially. We should have gotten paid to hang out. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Right,
1: there
0: should have been a ticket. You guys yeah. just to hang out with us. <laughs> Come on, um, so many dancers. We kind of get paid to hang out with our friends, but here we are today. Um, okay, so you hit me up in your inbox, um, on one of the last episodes, and you were you just talked about really relating to what I said, and I was like, what? <laughs> um, that's always like I get really excited. I the, producer Roderick and I were very much into as far as guests go on the podcast and things surrounding the podcast, is attraction rather than promotion. So you know, if we get a whiff of someone, we may invite them, but we really are trying to attract people who might be right for it. So when I got your inbox, it was super, super exciting because that's exactly what I want for the people that want to come on the pod. So we'll jump right into it. Do you, will you share uh, where it kind of began for you or where you might recall some of the earliest symptoms, signs, behavior of, you know, like an eating disorder, disordered eating, body dysmorphia. I like to do all the inclusive terms because it's so mm-hmm. vast.
1: It is so vast. And even my myself, I'm like, is it, oh, it's distorted eating now. But yeah, first want to say, um, thank you for talking about it. That was like one of the things that I follow you all the time, by the way. <laughs> we're spying <laughs> like, on each other. I, know. I was like, I always follow you. Like it's it's funny how certain people stay in your feed, and then the more you like actually look into their life, they stay in your feed. So I'm, yeah, I've it's always the algorithm. It's the been... algorithm. It it's the is. algorithm. <laughs> so you've always been in my feed. Um, but yeah, you you were talking about it, and I thought, gosh, it's it's a story that for me, I feel like people who really know me from my childhood know my that story, but so many other people don't know it. And I, I guess I started with distorted eating when I was in high school, probably about my senior year is when the beginning of my senior year was when I, uh, I, I read a magazine article basically on how to have an eating disorder. And I was like, they give you a menu on how to have an eating disorder. So I picked it up and went with it, to be quite honest.
0: I do feel like every article in the 90s magazines that were marketed to teen girls were articles on eating
1: disorders. They were
0: (laughs) like looking back, you're like, wow, how to get a man, how to lose 10 pounds, how to get a man, how to lose 10 pounds, how to get a man, how to lose 10 pounds. And those were uh, the articles with different titles. It was just a different, different title of the same article.
1: It was the same article, different title. And I also think being a child of, like, the 90s, being a teenager in the 90s, we also, I don't know about you, but I I feel like a lot of us had parents that were also hyper aware of body image. Like, I grew up in a home where my mom was on Weight Watchers, Slim Fast, Dexatrim, like, and it was constantly in the house and body image was being Commented on. I'm not saying that's where my eating disorder or my disordered eating came from. It's just it was planted very early about being extremely conscious about our body image. I'm so in love with what's happening now that, that we have like a positive body image. But growing up, I'm like, oh no, every other commercial is slim fast and the microwavable meals. And so it was already kind of ingrained in us, especially girls at a young age. But for me, it was, I was a dancer. So I feel staring at yourself, you're kind of okay with it. And then you hit a certain age, whether it be puberty or whatever it may be that you start to really notice what your body looks like. And then you start, you know, dating and all of those things. You become more like hyper aware. But for me, it was based from a control issue. So for me, I had over abuse that happened in my life and during that period of time, the family structure that I knew in my home separated very vastly, like quickly. So I went from having a space in my home that was a big family and a lot of people in our house and it was just this whole thing to it was now just my mom and I. We had to sell our family home. We were moving into a smaller home. How are we going to make ends meet? I was a senior in high school. So it was, it was just this huge transition of life that was spiraling to me out of control. So it was this really small way at first that I was just taking control and I was a picky eater. So I was like, I'm just going to eat steamed rice and a Laffy Taffy and call it a day. That's how it started. sounds
0: delicious.
1: It does, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I really
0: relate to a lot of that, um, Uh, And, and as you're, as you're telling this story, like I all, I know where it's going, you know, like I know where it's going because it's like, what am I going to do? And then she creeps up. I know what to do. Like, I've got your back. Uh Like here I am. And it's like, you know, the, the, that's exactly it. And I love that you talk about being a dancer and it's cool until it's not Mm -hmm. in the mirrors. And that's, that's what happened to me too. It was fine. And then all of a sudden it was like, not. And, um, I think even if, you know, I think dancers all probably have a possibly conflicted relationship with their body just because it is the way we express our art. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's just conflicted in general um, for probably all dancers. And I think even if it doesn't spiral into a disorder, I think that is kind of always prevalent where, you know, you're, you're just using the mirror as like a tool and then all of a sudden it becomes like this thing that can be really punishing or you know, uh, doesn't give you the feedback you'd like based on where you're trying to go and what you're trying to do. Um, and it's so it's just so weird because I've always thought dancers are part athlete, part artists, right? So Mm -hmm. we're we're expected to do these really athletic things. So but but we don't take care of ourselves like athletes, right? Because that's not part of our culture. So we emotionally are artists which are like drinkers, <laughs> drug addicts, suicidal people, you know, like that's where the art comes from. And then we're expected to do these things that like Michael Jordan type people can do. Right. And meanwhile, they're on like magnesium shots and like rest and like, you know, all these things. So it's like a really weird. It's a really weird dynamic uh, to be to be a dancer, I think.
1: I I couldn't agree more. And I I do remember, it's funny, because even coming from the athletic point of view as a dancer, I was a competitive dancer. I didn't start out that way. I just started out, honestly, dancing was kind of saving my life through my childhood to get me out of my house many a times and make me feel part of a community, which I think a lot of us can relate to that, that we're dancers. Um, But also because I was becoming more of a competitive dancer, I had to put my body into situations and places and angles that I hadn't done before and then like I lost a couple pounds and all of a sudden like my ponche was a little easier because my arabesque like quite frankly I didn't I didn't have as much meat back there so then like my arabesque kind of went up and then oh so it was this combination of being older looking at myself in the mirror constantly every day for hours on end and then the little talks of like, Oh, wow, you look great. You look great. Wow. What are you doing? You look great. Even back then at such a young age. And then also mechanically my body in the beginning, in the beginning, like before I went like way downhill, my body was working better because I did have a little bit of like my baby chub off and my leg could get into places or I could lean in places a little bit better. So. Yes. That's uh, the, uh, you look
0: so great is like, that is the heroin to my junkiness. Mm -hmm. Like that when people directly comment on weight loss, I cringe, but I love it. I cringe, I cringe in my recovery, but I fucking love it. If someone tells me they think I've lost weight, I'm like, it's the high of a, of a heroin addict. I mean, I've never done heroin. So I guess, it, well, I have done hydrocodone when I had my knee surgery. So I've, I've been on an opiate before. So I'll tell you, I yeah. want to say that they are the same for me. Like I get that hit in my brain of like, yes. Oh my God, yes. And then I should keep going. Or what can I oh, do yeah. to amplify oh, yeah. this?
1: So I have and, bookmarks and, in my brain that, of people in my life telling me, wow, you look great at a certain weight. And I bookmark that. Like yes. recently, I'm not talking about when I was 17. I no, have one bookmark. Yes. I could tell you where I was standing, what I was wearing, what they were wearing, exactly word for word what they said to me on when I had lost like 15 pounds. And it's like, it fills me. And I'm like, I need to get back to that place. Right?
0: <laughs> okay. I relate to the bookmark. And I also <laughs> want to take your bookmark and raise you a this personality. That you're talking about, that you can remember what everyone's wearing, mm-hmm. and you bookmark it, and you keep that in the space of your brain, and you can still carry on, is a personality that thrives in these types of of yeah. eating things. And so, there's a lot of people, and I, I'm not by all, I, I'm not saying that I'm taking people's inventory or diagnosing people, but there are people I can look at that I'm like, I recognize you, like I know yeah. I, I I I got I, you're you're my people. I don't know how bad you got it. But I, mm-hmm. I relate to you because, and there are, I see it in, when I teach teenagers too, yeah I can see kind of who's got the personality for it. I'm not saying they oh. have a disorder, but there is a personality that very much like this goes hand in hand with those super type A people, the really like, or, you know, organized or not, but like a little obsessive. And if you think about mm-hmm. it, most people who are drawn to dance because of the, uh, you know, detailed nature and the control, like, it's kind of very, a lot of certain personalities, you know, are pulled towards dance as well, I think. Oh, um, for sure. That's why we all get along so well. We know what's oh, up. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you, personally, do you identify with, like, one thing or another, like, a main behavior? Like, I would say, for me, I like, my main behavior throughout time and space was restricting which would be more in like an anorexia category. I've never been diagnosed as anorexia do I fit the criteria? Probably yes, especially the most recent criteria of that type of behavior um so I was like I always would self-identify as like I'm you know I uh, restrict um I definitely have body obsession um and I had a tendency on and off throughout, all of my unrecovered time of being what I, w- what is called orthorexic, really obsessed with healthy foods, organic mm-hmm. foods, non GMO stuff, or just this idea of like purity, clean eating. And like to the point where it becomes, um, it's either pure or I don't eat it. That type of like extreme. I'm not talking about people who are interested in health. I'm not talking about people who might prefer uh, certain groceries over others. I'm talking about a obsession of like almost to the idea of toxicity. Um, as I've far never, as
1: I've never heard of that last one. That's very interesting. I'm like, I'm, I'm tagging a few people in my head right now that are my girlfriends. Well, I'm like, mm, yeah, Let me <laughs> tell you
0: right now, Carrie. If you still lived in California, you'd know about triple that. No, I'm this is
1: true. This like, is it, true. It, it's is it's true. a slippery
0: slope out here because everyone's like so. You know, oh, it's such two. a slippery
1: slope. It's yeah. You know, um, I. I elevated and I transitioned from, from basically being an anorexic to being bulimic. And I, I, will, I, I was restricting at first, and then I transitioned into full-on bulimia, which is where, to me, it got extremely dangerous. So when I started with my anorexic journey, I was young and I was restricting. And then I literally read an article in one of our, you know, magazines that we were speaking about earlier. And it had, I guess it was kind of an article to moms, but it, it had what this girl was eating. So she was weight, she weighed 120 pounds and she got down to 85 pounds because she was only eating 500 calories a day. And, and I was took this that, was an
0: article that this girl had a problem or was it yes. like, this is okay? So, this, okay. so yeah, it was an this article was an, about a daughter who had an eating disorder.
1: Yes. And like, because in the nineties we were, we were slowly starting to talk about it. Plus we, it was the nineties. So everybody was wafer thin, like every model that you saw, everyone you saw on television, like, like even on like friends, like all the girls got like really thin, like everything was about collarbones and tiny shoulders. So I took that magazine article and used it as a blueprint. And I, that's how I really started restricting. I started figuring out calories at, Seventeen years old, and I was restricting to five hundred calories a day, and I went from I think at that time I was probably like about a hundred and eighteen. Oh, those days! See, I would still love it, but what would I so look you're like, like now at like, well, hundred and eighteen? Well, you were so
0: upset at hundred and eighteen. Uh, I oh, guarantee you,
1: I was. So but upset. now you're like, oh, the yeah, oh, good old
0: days. I don't even sickness. know if I'd want to
1: get to hundred and eighteen. Though I would look. Up at, like,
0: now that you get older,
1: you get wrinkly. So
0: <laughs> yeah, you get a little, you get a little saggy sag.
1: Yeah. But I was about 118 and it was my goal to get down. And I got down to about 90 pounds. So I lost like a ton. But during that time, I was also, I was dealing with a lot of stuff personally within my family and what was going on with that whole kind of life transition. But in my dance career, so to speak, I started to kind of find myself in the competitive world. And I started to kind of be pushed out front. So for me, it was, well, here I am in this space and I'm taking control. And by taking control, look at me, like I'm blossoming in this career. So I was tiny. And then I started auditioning and I got my first job. And at 17, I moved from New Jersey to Richmond, Virginia, to do a show with Barry Lather. And it was such a big deal because it was Barry Lather. And it was at a theme park in King's Dominion. And my parents took me down there. My mom and my, um, her husband at the time took me down there got me an apartment by myself. So I was 17, living on my own for the first time. And right before I left home, I started to become bulimic because I couldn't restrict anymore. Like I was like, oh, so I was like, well, if I eat, how does this bulimic thing work out? Again, read an article somewhere about like eating disorders, figured out how to do it and started to binge and purge. And binging and purging is like this whole other world because there's restriction, but then binging and purging, there's like a secrecy and an aloneness where it becomes such an addiction to eat the food and then get rid of the food that you pull yourself out of society. Mm -hmm. So right before I got that job, I kind of started to do that. And then I went down to Virginia and lived by myself in an apartment. So I would go do You'd my just work. Drive in your disorder. I would drive home. I would stop at every single fast food restaurant. I would order a full pizza. Like I would get do it all. Go home, eat it all. I would eat a carrot to start with, so I knew that was like my stopping point. And then I would sit by myself for like thirty minutes because I knew I only had like fifty minutes because then my body will start to digest. And then I would purge everything. So, why all the other dancers and people that were in that show were kind of going out and being 17 year olds and 20 year olds, the majority of my time was spent purchasing food, spending money, and then binging and purging by myself. And that to me was like, it's it's extremely sad when I look back at like my little teenage self. So, I've always identified a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. I have had bouts of bulimia, not anything recently, but now. I would say like she, cause I do, I do think she's like this little person that lives in my brain. Like there's a little bit of everything mixed with it, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I elevated myself from, or, I don't want to just call it elevated, but like in my 17 year old mind. You upped I thought, your eating thought, disorder game. I was like, we're going to, we're going to go full circle on this. We're going to keep going, like go up the steps. Let so. me check all
0: the boxes. Yeah. yeah. Let me, that is not uncommon. I'm hearing, you know, when I, before i got into recovery i really thought everyone had just one thing and they were diagnosed and they went to you know a rehab facility and if you didn't mm-hmm. follow that criteria and that path you didn't i didn't qualify it was how i found myself not qualifying so yes the the restricting was my first thing i never went to the bulimia but i did have the inclination Mm -hmm. when I was in high school. Like there was a a one time I remember going to the bathroom. I've told this story a bunch. I was in a, I was in a very abusive relationship at the time. I haven't said that yet, but I was in a very abusive relationship at the time. And it was really uh, like that day in particular is probably really dramatic. And so I went to the bathroom because I had the feeling like I just want to get rid of the food I just ate. Like, and it was this overwhelming need of like I can't tolerate these feelings. So let me get rid of this. Yeah. Gosh, I never
1: looked at it like that. Yeah. I can't tolerate these feelings. Yeah.
0: And I've heard, like someone said somewhere, or I might have read it somewhere, that like restricting is not wanting to have feelings. Binging is trying to get rid of the feelings. Mm. And like, I don't know, or uh, uh, purging, sorry, purging is getting rid of the feelings. Binging, I don't know if that's, there's there's another like thing that goes with binging that I'm not. 100% Hundred percent aware of, but so and that has really remained true for me. I also so I I didn't get in on the purging train, but I did, you know, later in um, in the starvation, really get into kind of binging. And I again, I don't think I fit the criteria of like because when they talk about binging, sometimes they like to say if you're eating this many calories within this amount of time, you know, like they want a criteria, make it a criteria to be like, and I don't think I ever fit that, but I can tell you 100%, like if you go all day without eating and then you fetishize that meal, Mm
1: -hmm. whatever
0: it is, Mm -hmm. and you're like thinking about it all day and like what you're going to do, what you're going to have, it doesn't matter if it's every fast food joint in the world and like, you know, all the quote unquote bad foods that you think are bad or the things you wouldn't allow yourself that now you are, or if it's a salad and that's what you're going to like going on. I do relate to the like eating alone, the ritual of getting it, the waiting Mm -hmm. till the end of the day, like my treat for getting through the end of the day is to finally eat and doing that alone. And I really like to do it in hotel rooms, like when I'm traveling. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what that's about. Like I did <laughs> spend a lot of time in my room as a teenager because it was kind of the only place I felt emotionally safe. Like I was never mm-hmm. in uh, physical uh, uh, harm, but as such a sensitive person and I, I had such a hard time with my family when I was a teenager, I just kind of like really felt safety in like my little room. So I just kind of barricade myself. So there's something in there about hotel rooms and
1: Oh own, yeah, the like, seclusion, the privacy—it's it's, the, it's yeah. like a safety. Like there's somebody out there taking care of me. They're gonna bring me right. food, and yes, and no one's gonna know about it. Like no,
0: no, and I have a bathroom. Well, I didn't have a bathroom in my room growing up, but like I have my bed in here. I have everything I need to mm-hmm. just like, be by myself, and I can eat in here. I can do my thing. So there's something in there too. But uh, I should stop. I'm talking way too much. I do want to no. say. I want to hear you talk. No, more, but no I love but... it. I just want to throw in there. Barry Lather is from my home state, Minnesota. I never got to work with Barry Lather yet. Yet,
1: Yet. Barry.
0: Yet, Yet, Barry. But I have always kind of... You know, looked out and seen. You know, like, and always been like, oh man, that's so cool that he's from my home state. And I think he still lives there, and he would come out and work and do things, you know, in LA and or wherever he was working. So I love that you got to work with Barry Lather. Well, his
1: gonna... his his wife is named Carrie, so they used to teach on Tremaine, and like where I grew up, I liked more. we call it hip-hop, but I don't, it was jazz, funk, street dance, whatever you want to call it back in the nineties. And Carrie was his assistant at the time. So he would teach on Tremaine and Carrie would come in and then she became a fly girl and her (gasps) name was Carrie. And I became obsessed. I still have a banner that has like Barry Lather's uh, signature on it and Carrie's signature on it. So when there was an audition like in Virginia for this new show that he was putting up. And I think it was the first time and the only time he's done like a theme park show. I was, I had, I had to be part of it. So the fact that I got to work with him was, and it was like my very first real professional dance job. So. That is so
0: exciting. And, um, you know, I don't blame you for a second for going full neurosis before a job (laughs) like that, because I still, before any big job, am going full neurosis. Uh, and, and at 17, I can't imagine having that kind of opportunity. I would have been out of my yeah, mind.
1: Yeah. I, I think I was, you know, for me, it was, I always knew I was either, I was actually going to school to be, I think like a history teacher. Cause I wanted to teach sociology and I couldn't of course get into the school. I wanted to, because I didn't take high school that seriously, but I was going with my friend who was like the Val Victorian to, to like. I think she was going to University of South Carolina and I was just going to go to a community college but be her roommate and my dance teacher was like no you're going to go audition for Barry Lather and book this job and be a professional professional dancer and to my mom's credit she was like yeah you should do it and I did so I, I dropped all of like my plans of going to school went down got the job and that's how my career started as a dancer but in my brain I I don't even think I was truly there because I was so in my disease, sadly. And I was Mm -hmm. so transitioning kind of from like being anorexic where that was just restricting and I was here and you could see me kind of spelt down to them becoming bulimic that felt, all encompassing. So that was like my job. And then, like, my Barry Leather gig was just this thing on the side. <laughs> right. This thing that you had to do to
0: find yes. your eating disorder.
1: Yes. Oh, so, so bad. And I, I look back at all the things that I missed out on or that I was like awkwardly weird about, or I don't, I just, just kind of inward of some of the moments and um, like that I missed out on because I was, I was you know, purging in my bathroom. Of my yeah. little one-bedroom apartment in Richmond,
0: Virginia. I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think a lot of people who maybe either think or want, you know, it. you finding the br- blueprint to this eating disorder in these magazines mm. or in pop culture, it, it's hard with this podcast because as much as I want to celebrate recovery, use it and have it out there for people who, you know, want to uh, further, they recover or want to relate or feel, you know, a, com- a sense of community with other people or not feel so ashamed or in the dark about it. It's a slippery slope because of how smart people are who have this disorder, how they just like mm-hmm. they latch on and they go for it. And yeah. so it's, I, there's been quite a few people that have been like, I, I love your podcast. I can't listen to it all the time, but I, you know, like because mm-hmm. it is that triggering, right? So it's like, it's, oh, of course. Yes. Of course, I and would I was- pick a podcast that people can't listen to <laughs>
1: <laughs> because like, it's... This is, this is too close. This hits too close to home. But, you know, there are things that I would share with you if we were hanging out about this that I probably won't share here because sure. of the fact that I knew, because of the fact that really, truly articles helped me with my eating disorder. They helped mm-hmm. me figure out how to do it at a young age. So there are things that I probably like even me saying the carrot trick I was like oh maybe I shouldn't have said that because of the fact that people it, start to
0: latch he, on.
1: I, that's I mean I figured out how to do what I was doing. I mean we have the internet now so I'm sure I'm sure it's everywhere but Yeah. but yeah. I, I do fear sometimes when I talk to younger girls and I I tell my story to them or whatever have you that I don't give them too much detail because I don't want them to take inspiration from it and go yeah. do it because that's what yeah. I did. And
0: I I I love that you talked about missing out on things because that's that's what people don't understand that might be glorifying this some of this behavior or, you know, oh, well, it's a little dysfunctional or it's a little, you know, self-hatred, but like, it's not that bad or not this bad or whatever. It's like, when you look back on your life, uh, do you want to have memories? <laughs> right. <laughs> because the only thing you take with you in the end is that. So- there are times like the other day. I was trying to think, like, oh, have I, you know, uh, have I, have has Stefan ever been to um, to Hawaii? And I was like, no, I don't think he has. Oh no, he has with me. Mm-hmm. We went to a wedding, but at that moment, it was not long after my knee surgery, and I was so in the thick of crazy, like yeah. I was trying to make choice. I was trying to change that disorder that recover I was trying I was early in recovery I was trying to do different things but it was like some of the loudest it's like poking the bear right I could yeah. keep that bear nice and asleep doing what I always did and the minute you start doing some recovery that bear wakes up and it's like Ooh, yeah. holy shit and oh, so yeah. that was going on and now I had forgotten that I had to like remember and like and all I could remember was if I really pushed I I remember struggling, trying to figure out what to eat in in a in a mm-hmm. in a place that I, you know, didn't have my safe foods and my safe things, and not planning out the day properly to eat, and like, you know, this kind of stuff that like that's what I remember from the vacation. Oh, that's what I remember.
1: Absolutely, that's. I mean, if I think back to some of of like in the height of that specific part of my eating disorder, because I feel like we have chapters. Like that was the beginning yeah. of the book yeah. and we're, we're still, we still sit in the book at times, but that was the beginning of the book. There are times where I can still remember showing up to like a barbecue where we were all like young teenagers at the pool and I showed up like two hours late and then everybody was like rapping and they're like, where were you? We were here. So I, I just completely missed it all. Like there's, mm-hmm. there was so many times in my life where I chose I chose not to have a roommate. Like, Mm -hmm. everybody else had a roommate. And it was the first time for most of us to be away from our family. And and it was, you know, for me, I didn't go to school. So this was kind of like my college years. And I Mm -hmm. chose to not have a roommate. I chose to not be around another human to, like, Mm -hmm. bring me joy and help me through it. Because I was like, well, I gotta, I gotta do some binging and purging. And I know, I need to hide, I don't want to hide it from them. So...
0: Right. Yeah. Well, it thrives in the secrecy, right? And it's like I can't have people around who are going to hold me accountable. I can't have people around they're going to find out. I need to like insulate my little situation.
1: 100%. It's because it becomes the control factor for me is it becomes your identity in during that period of my life and during the family transition that we were going through and just a huge life Switch that was happening. I was getting so much attention for my eating disorder versus what had the overt trauma that had happened to me. So for me, it was kind of like a safety push and control of like, oh no, don't don't pay attention to this part of my life. Like right, pay attention to the that. yeah, pay attention to the fact that I'm literally shrinking betr- before your eyes. And then I did. I had so much. Oh, are you okay? What's happening today? And people taking me under their wing and holding me and hugging me. And when I think back about it, I'm, i that's, I was looking for that. Yeah, I wanted did, that.
0: You, that's how you got the care that you wanted. Yes. For this Other thing.
1: I wanted that because of what had happened and what was going on, but I didn't want it for that because of a multiple, I'm sure layered reasons that I mm-hmm. need 27 more years of therapy for. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in that moment, as a young girl, I was like, I'll just take all this love and admiration of like taking care of me because I'm thin. Mm -hmm. And then once I left home, I was I was on my own. So I like left in the height of my eating disorder. And then, you know, sadly, it kind of went on to some of my closest friends, which is probably why I met like one of my best girlfriends ever in life, who was also a dancer, Heather Robertson, Mm -hmm. smoking hot. Um, But I met her when I was 17. And she's still one of my best friends in life. And she saw in me what was kind of happening. But like, I feel when I look back, I'm like, well, I just put that on you, didn't I? You were 21. And I was 17. And I was just like, hey, I'm going to come in with all my baggage. I'm going to be girl interrupted because I was obsessed with that movie. Like, I was like, let's go. And my other best girlfriend from home, like she dealt with my eating disorder every day. Like she would Mm. let me binge at her house. Mm. And then she would literally be like, are you going to go throw up now? I'd be like, yes, I am. And she's like, okay, I'll see you in an hour. But she was the saving grace in my life because she allowed me to kind of live there for a minute but also yeah. called me out on it. So,
0: well you got to uh, you got to dress rehearsal
1: mm-hmm. that
0: shame, right? Yeah. You got to dress rehearsal that. So you didn't have to stop, right? Cuz it's like a junkie. you can't just stop a drug without some mm-hmm. withdrawal. So you got to kind of like you were not going to stop your behavior, but you you got to turn the light on with one person and just test it out. Yes. You know, and just kind of be like so this person knows and like they're fine. Like what a what a gem.
2: Oh yeah! What a gem
0: of a person to like, kind of call you on it, let you do it. Because at the end of the day, like, it's it's so tricky because eating disorder stuff is so much like people who have addictions in the sense that until you're ready to make a change or or get the help that you need, it's not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. You know, you're gonna you're gonna continue your behavior, just gonna get more secretive, or you're gonna placate to people and do you know like cat toe cards. Dyson was on the podcast early in the season, and she talked about how her family found out, um, did everything uh, that they were supposed to do to get her help, and she was going to the therapy, and she was doing the things, and then she would just still do whatever she was going to do, right? Mm -hmm. She just got kind of more secretive about it. And so it's the same thing. Like, what was your friend going to do? Like, turn you in? And then what? You're just going to... Now that friendship's probably ruined because you'd feel betrayed, and then what are you going to do? You're still going to do your thing because you weren't ready to move on. 100% you needed
1: that.
2: that.
1: I like, she, she is, she's like my sister to this day, but I had other friends that would tell me just to get over myself. And I was like, Oh gosh, if I only could, but I do remember in those moments being like, but if I stop, then I don't have this thing. Like, this is my, in those moments, it was my thing. Like I was holding on to it almost as a, as a, as a life preserver because it Mm -hmm. kept me, going and it kept my brain away from everything else that was happening. And it kept me afloat and it, gosh, it sounds terrible, but it gave me a little bit of purpose. Like I was like, okay, here I am with my eating disorder and we have to keep going, you guys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I I think it's interesting that very few people would tell a heroin addict, just stop.
1: Right. You would
0: never. Nobody says that, right? You want that. Of course, you're like, I would love for you to just stop. But nobody says that to a heroin addict. No one says that because it has been understood that they can't, that this is something Mm -hmm. that we all grew up, especially in the 90s, because heroin was like, heroin chic was so celebrated. And it was like kind of the first time I think people really were talking about, you know, that type of opiate. Like everybody understood and was educated to the fact that these people cannot stop, that heroin is so addictive that they cannot stop. And Mm -hmm. usually people are doing heroin because they are in some distress. Normally it's not, I have a great life. Everything's going great. I feel great. I'm, you know, very healthy. Why not do some heroin? That's usually (laughs) not the deal, right? Right. You know, uh, so, so all of this stuff, like the get over it thing, anybody who might be listening who is like, yeah, why don't people just get over it? Well, you know, I would liken it much more to a heroin uh, addiction because it is how you are dealing with tolerating and able to go about your life uh, while dealing with whatever traumas traumas that you have or things that are dysfunctional or things that you're not ready to fully or can't deal with yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I, I, I relate to all of that. I love that you brought up all that stuff. Would you say that, do you know if you had a rock bottom um, or like, uh, like, uh, you know, a lot of people when they f- do start on their recovery journey are like, well, this was when I knew I needed to do this. Or sometimes people have a series of, um, glass floors,
2: <laughs> Yeah,
0: like, uh, I thought this was my rock bottom that I busted through to another level, um, to the basement.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think for me, I had, um, mile markers that were telling me you need to change something different. Like I was, when I was in my full anorexic state, I was the senior of my competitive dance studio. So I was a girl for, because being an older girl, there were younger girls looking up to me. And then I started to see a couple of the younger girls, like when we'd be at competition, they would be like restricting food and they would this. And I remember going to them and being like, do not do this. Like, do not do this. Like, this is not where it's at. Like, please don't look at me as a model and go after this. And talking to them was like a first light switch. I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, like there's there's an obvious problem here because you're noticing it in other people, but you're not taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And then um, my mom was going through her own thing and her new boyfriend at the time, he stepped in and was like, what's up with your daughter? (laughs) He was like, what's going on with her? Mm -hmm. So like, that was another light switch that someone outside kind of popped in. And then I really think for me, it was... Going through bulimia was so hard on my body, and there were th- there's health issues when you are bulimic for a long period of time that start to arise, and it's like it's like gross stuff, but it's like your teeth from stomach acid, and da, da da da, and then you start to get like puffy cheeks because your body's retaining water, and my whole body and how my body was working, and I was, you know, downing laxatives and fun stuff like that. So it was it was in the moment where. I, I just remember like being in the bathroom and I was like, I spend my life in the bathroom, whether it be in the shower or on the toilet or I'm spending my life eating. Mm. So I'm just constantly binging and purging. And I have these moments where you like finish and you just, you feel, you feel high and then you feel horrible. Mm-hmm. So you get like an, like an absolute high. But I do think that my, my girlfriend who would allow me to kind of come to her house and be with her, and hang out, and eat, and enjoy food, because I love food, and then go home and purge, and then come back. That probably happened for like two months, and then she was like, yo, and I was like, okay, you're right, mm. and between her and my, now he's now my stepdad, between the two people from the outside world kind of coming to my mom and I, and stating it, like there's an absolute reason, like something's going on with her, we need to get her help, I think it was people from the outside world accepting what I was doing and then finally turning and being like, no. And I was turning too. like, it's not, it's not a fun life. It's not a life that once you get, once I got past kind of the control of it and realized it was just this repetitive thing that I was doing daily. It's tiring. I mean, it's really tiring on the body. So Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if there was a one point, those are just kind of mile markers in my head that they kind of, they just added up everything started to add up. So I don't know if I hit, I mean, I hit some rock bottoms, but I'm not. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah. I've hit, I hit rock bottoms with bulimia for sure. Mm-hmm. There was, there was a lot of stuff that, um, is like science class stuff that I definitely hit some rock bottom moments where I was like, Oh really? This is where we're at. Okay, great. Like, yeah. 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 And I do think like in, in
0: the recovery world, a lot of times specifically, cause I'm like one of my main, uh, tools of recovery for my eating disorder is uh, Overeaters Anonymous OA, which I don't consider myself an overeater. It it is a very inclusive program to anyone who might be curious. But, um, you know, in those types of 12-step recoveries, they talk about rock bottoms because it's based off of AA. And a lot of times they talk about, Mm -hmm. okay, if you're an addict, you have a rock bottom, blah, blah, blah. But I do think that people misunderstand, like, it doesn't always have to be one thing it can be a yes. series of like a series of rock bottoms right where you're just like and that can kind of also be cumulative and i just like like i like people to explain that part of it because it's not always just this one thing and that was it
1: yeah it's it's not and i i think too i i was realizing maybe through a little bit of maturity even though i was still pretty young that the people around me that were loving on me and help. I was hurting them. Like I was putting them in a, in a pain as they were watching me do this to myself mm-hmm. and they, th- that I never want to do, you know, people pleasing or whatever was another one of my <laughs> things I'm sure I need to deal with. Right. But like the people pleasing side of me didn't want other people to be upset and concerned with me because everybody has enough stuff on their plate. So it was, it, yeah, I, I had rock bottom moments within my bulimia, but honestly I still kept going. I still that, kept going. That is so sweet that your
0: people pleasing came out there. <laughs> I would have just taken that as shame and strapped it to my back and kept going. Yeah. <laughs> just more fuel for my fire. Yeah. And look yeah. at how terrible I am. Look at what I'm doing, all these people. Yeah. Um okay. What 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 do you remember, if anything, about Uh, your early recovery? Like, do you remember anything about it? Is there anything like, what did that look
1: like? Um, I went to an actual um, hospital. I went to a place called Renfrew in Pennsylvania. And my, my best friend's sister who would let me puke at her house paid for it because insurance wouldn't, my mom ended up paying her back over time, but insurance wouldn't cover it. And she had some money um, from a family member who had passed. And when my mom was trying to get me in and calling all the insurances, she stepped forward and she said, I'll, I'll just pay for it. And you pay me back. So that was huge because wow. I had this support system around me. My mom's new boyfriend who is now my stepdad, but when that was like umpteen years ago, but like, I was like, who's this dude Just like coming in. Like, let me help you. I'm like, uh-huh. okay, fine. But I, I, I remember being dropped off at the hospital and the hospital that I went to was um, anorexia, bulimia, overeating. And then all of the things that make us do that were also involved in that therapy. Mm -hmm. So all of the overt traumas that we went through, the abuses that we went through, everything, it was you just walked into this establishment and you were doing family counseling and one-on-one counseling and you were in group therapy with all walks of life like you Mm -hmm. were really in a place where you were in every all walks of life and all walks of disordered eating which Mm -hmm. I think in and itself was beautiful because we could all relate on the control aspect of it versus just being in you know if you were an overeater you would be with people who physically looked like you or anorexic physically looked like you we had women that were hooked up to like breathing machines because they were anorexic for so long. And to me, that was kind of one of my turning points. There was, her name was Michelle. She was wonderful. Um, And her whole family came to visit her like on a family day. And she was in her hospital bed and she was connected to tubes and she and I would be in some counseling together, but to get her to our counseling sessions, they had to like put her in a wheelchair and bring her in. And she was probably Gosh, in her thirties at that time, mm. and I just remember looking at her and being like, "Oh no, no!" And then seeing her children and how it was affecting their family, and I was like, "I'm good." Like I literally, I remember like calling my mom because we, we had only certain times we could like use phones and everything like that. And I remember calling my mom like, "I'm so good." Like I totally understand this, right? I'm, was, I'm I'm on the up and up. Yeah, I've, like I've that was a huge my fate, switch. and yes, I don't exactly, want it <laughs> exactly. But I do remember having to, you had to eat a certain amount of calories. Like you were, mm-hmm. you had to specifically eat the certain amount of calories mm-hmm. and like my body couldn't take it. Mm. So I was trying to eat the food being mm-hmm. like, I'm going to eat this food. And my body was naturally purging it because mm-hmm. it just wasn't used to having food in my system. Mm-hmm. And that was a pretty rough, I mean, I, I would, Think of it similar to like a detox for somebody who was, you know, an addict with drugs or alcohol. My body had to figure out how to keep food in its system. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of the really big moments I remember towards the beginning. And then after I spent some time with people and heard their stories, um, I just flipped, to be quite Mm -hmm. honest. I was like, nope, I'm good. Like, let's do Mm -hmm. this. Yeah, But I flipped in that moment of getting over the really big hump, the obvious hump of having disordered eating. I don't think I ever, if I'm being honest, got, I, I didn't get rid of it. I just got over the really big hump of not doing right. it every day.
0: Right. Well, and I, I, I don't know how other people, you know, I've been in recovery for probably five ish, maybe longer years, five ish years. And you know, I'm waiting any day now to not hear that side, you know, like any day now for it not to be around. Um, And so that's why more recently, I've just kind of been like, yeah, I don't think this is ever going to go anywhere. It's just who who gets to make the decisions. Um, And I do feel like although that's a bit crazy, like maybe to other people that I'm like, yeah, there's this little eating disorder chick who lives in my head. Oh, yeah. She can get real loud and she can take control and start doing shit and pulling levers and driving the bus and doing all kinds of shit if I let her do it. But, you know, so I have to kind of like pull her back. But, you know, it is the easiest way of kind of dealing with it uh, day to day. And I do think that's a pivotal moment. Like, I do remember in some of my early therapy that one of the therapists had asked me, like, what is your ed voice? Like, what is the eating disorder voice? Like, what does it say? What does it sound like? What does it look like? Like those things. And I was like, what are you even talking about? Like, what voice? Like, cause to me, it was my own voice. It was just me. Yeah. Like, I couldn't separate it. I, it was just all one. So I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, what? Like a little Monopoly mon- man with yeah. a monocle, like who's a little <laughs> critic, like what is
1: it? Like I don't know. Um, that's what you gotta name it. Sometimes I yes. name her. Sometimes I name her Sheila, and I'll just talk oh to Sheila. Her. Like sometimes you just have to name it because in my in through my history of this, I a lot of times it's probably my younger 17 year old voice coming out and trying to have those moments so I'm like Mm -hmm. this isn't and you you said it exactly it's it's whether or not you choose to listen to it and who gets to decide what you do yeah so like Sheila Sheila comes up every now and then and I'm like girl he needs to go away
0: (laughs) and I have a this is a really off script question now is Sheila like you know like is Sheila stuck in the 90s is she like Weight Watchers or is she like more up to date
1: she 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 is also elevating herself at oh, times. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. She's gotten better actually. We're, we're working on it together, but Okay, okay. Uh she wasn't stuck in the 90s until I saw the Oscars the other night and I was like, "We're back in the 90s. Everyone's so thin." <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> there's going to be an episode coming, Ozempic. We'll we'll talk about it.
1: Mm, yeah. Oh,
0: Ozempic. Oh, Ozempic. Yeah, we'll get we'll get into that. But <laughs> moving forward with this, what would you say is your relationship today with food or to your body or to this ailment, uh, dis-ease disorder, however you want to, you know, identify it.
1: It's interesting. I have to check it in multiple ways. I th- I think that once you have distorted eating and you, you, you have scar tissue, like that's how, I, that's the best way I could describe it. I have scar tissue. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I feel it depending on which way I move. Sometimes I don't. And it will go good and bad for me. Cause if I'm say right now, I have three herniated discs and one exploded in my back. Stop so, it. Yeah, it's bad. Oh my God, so, Carrie. So for seven months, I have not been able to move my body in the way that I need to move my body. And prior to that, I was doing extremely intense workouts. Like I was orange theorying, like I was like. I was the type of person who, if I worked out, it needed to feel like I may die on the other side versus just being a human and like taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. So I find that my, if I, if you catch me on a certain day, 60% of my thoughts might be about my body Mm -hmm. and what I'm eating. Mm -hmm. If I'm all of a sudden moody, it's because I might be counting my calories and I've gotten to my calories to lose that one pound a month for the day. And or one pound a week, and I can't eat anything else, even though I'm hungry. So Mm -hmm. that is definitely distorted eating, because just eat, (laughs) just Mm -hmm. eat and and walk another mile tomorrow. Right. Why is there
0: math involved?
1: Why is there math involved? (laughs) But because I'm a dancer, and because Mm -hmm. I'm used to my body being in a certain shape and a certain way, having an injury and having weight be put on me kind of before because of the pandemic, because I was just eating and drinking my life away. But then coming off of that and being like, okay, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to crush it. I'm going to run next to a 20 year old and I'm going to go faster and up the hill. That is part of the over-exercising of the eating Mm -hmm. disorder or the just going too far, like reminding yourself, like, no, you're, you're in your forties. And you just went through a pandemic where you literally walked around Mm -hmm. the block once or twice. And that was it. And now you're like trying to go 100 miles an hour, just so you can get back to a shape that you might not ever get back to because you had a baby and your body just changes like you just just evolves, your body moves on and becomes a different thing. But it also will do the opposite where I will not take care of myself or I will eat too much knowing it's too much or drink too much. Because I'm like, well, I should stop. And then I'm like, is that is that Sheila talking though? Yeah, let's make it Sheila talking. Because I really am enjoying it. Sheila myself.
0: got in there. Yeah.
1: So Shh. yeah, I'll use it both ways. I'll use it mm-hmm. when I'm feeling, I don't like the word lazy, but when I'm, when I'm feeling lazy and I want to eat a bunch of food and drink a bunch of drink, and not have to worry about it, knowing that I'm not going to feel great in the morning, knowing that this isn't helping my mental state.
0: Right. You're like, Sheila, you got 30 seconds on the clock. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What would you like to say?
1: (laughs) And she's like, you know what? Let's not count our calories today because that would make us feel like we were restricting. So go ahead. So it's interesting how I use it to my advantage. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. with lately, though, I've been trying to retrain Sheila. I've been retraining her to like that walking four miles a day. And doing the, you know, the calisthenics that I need to do to recover my body and to rehab my body after my back injury is where we need to be right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm retraining, but if you catch me like next week on a Wednesday and you ask me the percentage of what I thought all day about fitting in my jeans, having to be on camera, what I ate today, if I really want to drink, but I'm not going to have that glass of wine. It could be 90% of my day. hmm And I'm glad that you brought up
0: being on TV because I, that's another really big thing is you're still on camera. So yeah, you're not a dancer, but you're still on camera. Mm -hmm. And I quickly, my, my eating disorder will quickly, because so much of my eating disorder is body dysmorphic and just body dysmorphia in general, which for people who don't know, like body dysmorphia is not just obsessing or seeing something that isn't there. It's also hair pulling it's skin picking. It's, cuticle picking, it is the inability to tolerate any of that kind of stuff and a way to deal with anxiety. And the body dysmorphia quickly will switch from my body. If I don't allow myself to pick at my body, um, it will quickly switch to my face. So now I'm looking up where I should get Botox, if how I should, like, is my jowls, are they sagging? What kind of, I will quickly start filling an Amazon cart with five star rated face products, which are all going to make me break out, PS, because I have super sensitive skin. But I am going to pay that money and do that thing anyways, because and I did that before when I was doing Maisel during 2021. I was out in New York. Which you were for six awesome, months. Then,
1: by the way. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, so,
0: so you know, post pandemic, I thought I was retired. I was like, I'm going to hang it up. This is over. And then that job came, which is the biggest. I would say the biggest job of my career. And I was not in the shape I wanted to be. I was not in the headspace I wanted to be. But I did it anyways. And I was locked up in my little, you know, Airbnb, because we were still pretty much on lockdown, even in New York. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to get COVID because then I wouldn't be able to shoot and do these things. So I was like, really locked down really strict. And I wasn't. And then someone did test positive, exposed us. So we were on a two week break. And then Amy and Dan Pall- uh, Amy per- Sharon Paladino and Dan Paladino sent us these big gift baskets because we were on a two week hiatus with like food and all this like amazing oh. stuff. So I'm trapped in this Airbnb with all this food, like losing my mind, you know, pandemic and, you know, anxiety, neurosis, going to be on camera, haven't been on camera, haven't danced, haven't, you know, like all those things, extra weight, all the things going to be in a thong, no tights. And I was like, uh-huh. I should fix my face. Yeah. because i was not i was not going to allow myself to do weird stuff with food even though i was still like really borderline with it you know like i was like let me get some amazon stuff i need to get it here yeah. today yeah. this will fix it but so there's mm-hmm. like it, being on tv that's a whole extra level i'm not saying that if you're not on tv that you couldn't have as much obsession but there is that extra level of
1: thing yeah absolutely and i've been Like I am a I am a a bigger girl. Like my bones are bigger. Like and after having a child, I feel like they got even bigger. But like my shoulders are wider, just my actual bone structure. I'm built like a like a German nana or something like that. I don't know
0: if that's true. I think that might be how you feel, Carrie. I haven't seen you in several years, but I don't know if that's true. It's not it's not a Sheila (laughs) thinks you're big boned. I don't know if that's true. It is, but
1: I'm not small bones. Let's put this way. I have friends that if I walk up to them and I like hug them, you can feel, you can feel their smallness. You know, I take up some space when I'm standing next to you. And when you're co-hosting with somebody, Mm -hmm. it's just like when you take a selfie with your friend and your face is more forward than their face and your face is like it's seven times bigger than it really is. When you're on camera like that and you're co-hosting, I've had producers come up and tell me like, this was before we've entered a new generation. Um, But I've had producers tell me that I had to put my like a jacket on because my arms were too muscular and they didn't feel like feminine enough. And I needed were, to dress. Yes. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> I was
0: like. Your arms were upsetting the producers. My arms were your, upsetting the producers.
1: Your arms
0: were perturbing the patriarchy and mm-hmm. making them feel weak. Mm-hmm. Put exactly. on a jacket. Yes, and they Put on were like a jacket you strong woman. Oh, you need then, to be weak and frail.
1: We cannot tolerate yeah. it. It's so true and they were like we need you to dress more like like designers. And I would like they would like, like show me like? or it, very svelte women at the time. Like the people that they were had in their mind were very svelte women. So I was like, "Oh, yeah, I don't I don't look like that. Like I don't that's not that's not my body type." So I had to navigate that in a way where like I just had to kind of let my my inner kind of like are we allowed to curse? Yes. Okay, my inner like go fuck yourself just yeah. come out and stand there and go uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. and then that had to really replace kind of like my eating disordered thoughts with go fuck yourself because mm-hmm. it's the only way I could kind of pull myself through that but it's so funny, the things that people say to you, when they did, they don't know, they don't know that I of have an eating disorder, you know what I mean? They don't know that that's something I struggle with, that it takes up so many of my thoughts. But there's so many little things that people can say to you, whether it be somebody saying you have broad shoulders, so now you think you do, or, you know, if you lost this little bit, it would be this, or have you ever looked into fixing that, or, like, mm-hmm. these little things will stay at the forefront of your mind. And when you're having those moments, they all flood back at the same time. Oh, yes. So be conscious of what you're saying to people. Yeah, it's a (laughs)
0: self-fulfilled prophecy, right? It comes back just like, that's right. I knew it. I knew that I I was crazy. I knew I was terrible. I knew I had
1: big arms. I knew I had big arms. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. But being Um, on camera with other people, it's not just you standing there. You now have like, yes, you know, it's like dancing was so, oh my gosh, dancing is like, Dancing so intense. Dancing is so intense. And it's, I mean, y'all are the most beautiful humans in the world too. So that's the thing is it's everybody's so gorgeous and it's part of the art to keep your body in a certain way. Or it used to be, it used to be much more, but Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's, it is intense. Like dancer's body, it's just. It's uh, it's like, I can't even really come up with a word because we all know what it feels like. Yeah. We all know what we're yeah. talking about. Yeah,
0: I know, I know. And everybody who's a dancer who's listening knows. You talked, you mm-hmm. mentioned overexercising, which I'm glad you did because that is uh, something people do identify with who are in recovery. A lot of times they will identify as an overexerciser. And that is a thing like where you're like really manically overexercising or really like, like you said, it's on or off. It's all or nothing kind of yeah. like black or white. Situation, um, and that's kind of um, that might be also a uh, a little heads up if you if you are like exercising to punishment or if you are like you know really obsessed with if if exercising you're like oh I eat healthy and I do this and then I'm like if I don't miss if I miss the gym that anxiety creeps up and it's like Ooh. poking the bear that might be a good like heads up that that might be a thing for you uh, if you're listening. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, this is a, a complete 180, but not. How did
1: you do pregnancy? Because <laughs> I know I, you have a child. How yes.
0: did you do that?
1: Um, I loved every minute of it because I was allowed to be whatever I wanted to be pregnant. Okay. Like I, I didn't gain a lot of weight in the beginning. And then towards the end, I gained a, a good amount of weight, but I loved it because it was the first time like I could just have a belly and I was obviously eating healthy because I was growing a human inside of me. Mm-hmm. um, and Sky, my husband is like a he's his whole family growing up his his dad was like super like a like a health guy. So Sky definitely has brought in a lot of healthy elements into my life. Mm-hmm. so but I loved it because you can, you can gain 60 pounds if need be. I mean, and you didn't have any anxiety about that. You weren't no, like, Oh my God, Oh my God. Oh my God. I didn't, really? I didn't have anxiety about it until that baby came out. And then and I was like, like, Oh, oh dang. my God. <laughs> like then I had anxiety, but no, like I had none. I was like, bring it on. I get to just be in my body. This is amazing. Like, Everything is changing on my body and it's Did it's you ever stop wonderful. and think that is this how
0: other people feel like right. about food and yeah. like what what like
1: like just literally oh, the yeah. weight
0: is lifted the weight of your shoulders is I high.
1: was I was Sky and I were vegan at the time that we found out that I was pregnant and that day we went and had I was like I want pepperoni pizza like yeah. literally I was like I'm pregnant we're getting pepperoni pizza Yeah so yeah. I really just went into this state of euphoria and just allowing my body to be my body and then after the fact it was a little bit more difficult and I stay I think still now it's difficult because my body ha- did change so much and I had a, a very rough pregnancy so I had a lot of recovery on the other side of it where I, there was no bouncing back or anything mm. like that so I had to kind of work myself back and it's funny when I think back because I've I've worked myself back and then I worked when we step on a scale like pound wise mm-hmm. when I was pregnant and I got done, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is how much I weigh. And even now I'm like, gosh, I, I weigh more than I did after I gave birth now. Mm. So yeah. The pounds that's it. And uh, just for people who might
0: be uh, uh, recovery flirting with recovery or want to, uh, uh, there's a tip. If you go to the doctor and they weigh you, you can ask them to not announce the number and to step on the scale facing away. Um, and you don't have to say why you can just say, Hey, can you not tell me what I weigh? And I'm just going to step backwards on the scale. And they know what that means. Anybody who questions it, I, I hope they don't, I, I okay. hope that they don't, I hope that they don't. And, and then a lot of times they'll say, it's still going to be on your paperwork just so you know, to, and that's their cue of like, don't look at your paperwork. Like yeah. I'm going to do this and then don't look at your paperwork. Um, which of course it's I'm so always going to say that
1: because I just had to do like my my um like appointment for like my yearly mm-hmm. yearly lady stuff and i said to sky i was like okay cool i want to lose like 15 pounds and my my yearly my yearly checkup is at the end of may so if mm-hmm. i restrict my calories to like 1500 a day i can at least lose like 10 and he looked at me he's like what are you talking about? And I was like, (laughs) because they're going to weigh me. And when they weigh me, I'm going to go home for like four days. And all I'm going to do is think about that number. Mm -hmm. So he, but he was gobsmacked. He was like, what are, what are you even talking about? Like you're, I said, Oh, I'll push out my doctor's appointment because I don't want to step on the scale.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole deal. I don't have a scale that I use in the house. I'm not allowed to weigh myself. I have to give, give a good guess if it's, if it's asked of me. Because it's not it's not a great it's not a great marker for anything other than my own punishment.
1: (laughs) It's 100 percent. And I will say I just recently stepped on the scale and I have mixed emotions about it because I I feel like because I've been kind of coming back from an injury and I've just started to get back. I mean, I've just been able to like put socks on and on some mornings I still can't put socks on. Yeah. So it's. It's rough in the fact that I know physically what I'm going through, but somehow mentally, I think I should I should weigh X amount. So I stepped on the scale and I hadn't stepped on the scale, but luckily I have my best friend who used to let me throw up at her house and we talk every morning and we'll just talk, we'll talk smack on like how much we weigh and we love it. And we're so open about how much we weigh and what that sounds like. And so to me, like There's some safety in it if you if you have a friend that you can relate to in that way. Mm-hmm. We did this thing. I don't know if it's popped up on your Instagram, but there's like this wall Pilates. It probably didn't pop up in yours, but there's a wall Pilates thing. And it, it it's like, here, you can lose blah blah, 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 blah. So just for like shits and giggles one day, I was like, I wonder what this is like. I put in like my weight and my height and my, my girlfriend did this as well. And it came back and we were laughing because it was like, you're obese. You're completely overweight. This is going to take some time. To the point where I screenshot it and I read it to Sky, and he was like, the, the app says that? And I said, yeah, it literally tells me like, whoa, you got some work to do. You're oh, a really big girl. I'm like, my... that shouldn't be allowed. Like, that should not be allowed. You don't know my my muscle mass. You don't know my yes. body frame. Like, yes. Oh, and so- that has
0: long since been the issue that a lot of people have with the BMI index because mm-hmm. depending on other fact, it just, yeah, it's not a good marker. It's not a good marker at all for health. Or especially, like, what category you should be in, in the health categories, you know? Toxic. Toxic. That outfit's really? toxic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. As, As a parent, how uh, how have you navigated your feelings and experiences with child rearing? So, you know, as a parent, you have to, like, make meals for a kid. And, like, sometimes kids are picky eaters. And sometimes, like, I had someone on the podcast, um, my friend Dave, who... You know, is trying to do intuitive eating with his kid, and he's like it's hard because she'll want to eat things that he's not super fond of, but then, you know, at the same time, he doesn't want to stigmatize them, and he has a slightly different issue than than you and I do. But like does that come up at all? Do you even consider it? Is it
1: anything? no, you i I would say that we from like the time our little one was little, we were pretty big on not allowing certain things in his diet. And now when he eats those things, whether it be like something too sugary or something candy, his stomach will get upset. So he'll be like, oh yeah, this isn't, I say, well, it's because of X, Y, and Z. So we were always pretty um, aware of, Sky is very much into like what is in your food, what goes into your body. Mm -hmm. He's he's very much on that path. So our home has always been on that path. I cook everything at home. So- We're always using, we try, I should say, to always really use fresh ingredients. I don't really, I don't let it involve in that way. And I try not to ever talk about, you know, dieting or I'm counting my calories or, you know, my mom is a, a more curvaceous woman and she has been talking, she's talked about weight and, you know, called herself fat or this or that, basically since the time I can remember in life. And she'll do that around our son sometimes. And I will stop her. I'll be like, look, you can't because mm-hmm. we don't use that language. So I don't want that language into our child because it's just, it's a really toxic negative energy when we're talking about our body image. So, I mean, and boys have, you know, boys have a, a bunch of different situations mm-hmm. with them. Like he's already like, oh, well, this friend is is more buff and this friend mm-hmm. is this and this right. friend Being is that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm more like thin or, you know, so it's, it's going to creep up. So we we try and keep a very healthy outlook on exercise. We make him exercise with us, but not like going overboard, but we, we try and keep the fact that our body is our only body and we need to nourish it and love it Mm -hmm. at the forefront of our family, I would say.
0: That's great. I love that. You know, what's so interesting is like uh, me, because I have a, such a sailor's mouth, like I'm such a, like, I'm so addicted to swearing.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: you know, I get in trouble around people and their kids all the time for swearing. You know, I always get popped or people give me a look or I like feel bad, you know, Oh God, sorry. I said that, you know, of your kid, but you know what we don't really, a lot of people would look, they would, they would shun me for saying, you know, you know, a bad word, but then you'll have people or parents or grandparents with like this type of talk and probably unlike you they just kind of let it roll and it's like I'm wondering really what is worse of those two things like someone you know oh saying saying a bad word quote-unquote a bad word or people being like I need to lose 40 pounds I look terrible I need to get on a diet I look at this flub look at this child like I can't yeah I'm like you know it's it is interesting like what as a society we deem as good or bad or like what we're Mm -hmm. tuned into or not it's kind of interesting Yes. And
1: I think I'm sure because of the fact that I, I recognize it so deeply whenever my mom says something about her body, because it's still constant to this day, even though I'm like, yo, you need to stop. She's, she's gotten bigger. a little better as she's gotten older. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she still speaks on it. She's still like, she, she nicknamed herself like big booty Judy and like her name's not Judy, but <laughs> she just like I'm like what a great name (laughs) but like and she does have like a big booty but we like we worship her big booty we're Mm -hmm. like ah like we love it and so we try and even with her we try and switch even at 72 we try and switch her mindset on her body constantly and you know just even telling her she's beautiful and things like that but the fight back of that generation is intense. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm very strict on certain language that cannot be around our child because I just, I grew up with it and I just don't want it, whether it be negativity about your body or anything mm-hmm. else, so.
0: I love that. I, I yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, what do you think, um, well, let me ask you this. What, why do you think more people don't talk about this topic, specifically like maybe
1: dancers? (sighs) That's tough. I think that, I mean, to be honest, it's just the industry standard or it has been for so long. And even though there is a lot more inclusivity and body awareness and body exception, the standard is still the standard. Like it's not Mm -hmm. completely going anywhere. So Mm -hmm. honestly, I think having a certain body, is part of the job, and the industry itself doesn't care how you get there. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times it's just a casualty that comes with the industry, in my personal opinion. like We don't care how you get to what it is, we just want you to look that way. Like We don't care that you work out and your arms are toned for you, we just want you to cover them, because it makes everybody else not comfortable.
0: Because it makes one certain producer feel (laughs) demasculated.
1: It does, it does. I don't, I don't like your arms and I need you to dress more like more sexy. Well, well, okay. We'll work on that. I need you to um, be more frail.
0: Yeah. Because I need you to that be more is feminine what or would make me feel more comfortable. <laughs>
1: exactly. But I, I do feel that it is such a ingrained part of the, of the industry to look a certain way. And I mean, it, we're half naked, or at least I started off my career half naked and mm-hmm. you, you want to feel a certain way. You're moving all around your, your body's going up and down and you, you know, you might be in a bra and panties or you might be in full pants and full, you have no, you, you have no option either over mm-hmm. like what it is that you put yourself out. Of. I think when you, longer into your career you might have an option and you're choosing to do certain things and you're choosing to live in your own body and express yourself the way you want to but especially in the beginning like it's just this is what you're gonna wear you're gonna put this on everybody's gonna wear the same thing too Mm -hmm. most of Mm -hmm. the time Mm -hmm. so the the comparison bias of standing next to multiple people in the same thing doing the same move, staring into a mirror and then watching it say back on television um that's intense. Because That's a
0: traumatic event.
1: It's a very, <laughs> if, if really anybody who's not in our industry can just imagine
0: that. Like, you're going mm-hmm. to work today, you're going to be in a bra and panties. You're also going to be in the same bra and panties that 40 of your other coworkers mm-hmm. are in. Now, these coworkers are younger than you, probably yeah. <laughs> in better shape than you. Um, and you're all going to stand in a line and then look at each other in a mirror. Then you're going to put that on, uh, uh, you know, a media that adds weight and weird dimension. And then yes. you're going to watch that. And then you're going to know that everybody's going to watch that. Yes. yes. Like that mm-hmm. is a nightmare. That's a mm-hmm. dream you would wake up from uh, as a nightmare yeah. uh, for a normal person, I would assume. And that is like a traumatic event. That's something mm-hmm. you might need therapy for. <laughs> 100%.
1: And, and with dancers, like I'm, I'm kind of speaking of, like little backup dancers or mm-hmm. I'm, I guess I'm speaking a little bit more on the end of like television dancers mm-hmm. or I don't know what that would be called Dan- dancers of yeah, dance on film, screen like yeah TV film whatever it is really it's like at times you're a bunch of minions and it's just like everybody's in the same doing the same thing so it's so easy to critique yourself because you have so much to compare yourself to but yes. I, I think we don't talk about it, honestly, because it's that what you said earlier, right? Half athlete, half artist. Yeah. So part of us is like, well, this is part of the art. This, this is part the of struggle. the art. This is the struggle. I have to look this certain way. The self-loathing and then, is part yeah, of it. Exactly. And then I'm going to go out and drink too much and eat too much. And then tomorrow yeah. I'm going to beat myself up for it for the next yeah, four days. I'm go to the
0: gym every day. And if I don't, I'm going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm.
1: But it really is. It's. It's the industry standard. It's just you're expected to look a certain way and that's it. So it's it's just like if, if I speak on camera and I'm speaking on camera, I'm expected to know what I'm saying. You're expected to know the steps, know the choreography, know the blocking, and you're expected to look a certain way because it's your brand, right? We, we all got branded. I think we don't mm-hmm. talk about that enough in the industry. We were branded very early on into what your brand was and how mm-hmm. you would be hired you're hired because you of your skin tone, your hair color, your height, you're a mm-hmm. bookend for this girl. Like you you're this height to go with this guy, whatever it will be, they'll brand you and you need to stay on that brand. Right. So we That's get the category. Yeah, and we we get pushed into that very early on. So to kind of divert from that midway, you can. You won't work. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might. I'm not saying, I'm not doing definites, but
0: Yeah, I like this this conversation talking about how the industry does kind of decipher that because if you think about this is where I have where I bump up against something really important that is uh, in a direct opposition of my value system is who is the industry right? Well, you're like, well, the people Mm -hmm. who are in charge. Well, who is in charge? Well, Mm -hmm. what sex is in charge? What Mm -hmm. race is in charge? Mm -hmm. And we all know that still, that is white men right? Mm -hmm. White men, it might be white straight men, it might be white gay men, but it is typically white men are going to be the predominant of our industry is still in charge. So this bumps up against my value system because, you know, this idea of like, this is what is acceptable is women being frail, is women being non-muscular, is women being smaller, is women being so emaciatedly thin, you know, that they are starving, that they look starving, that they're not Mm -hmm. taking up space that they can't you know it it just all of it is
1: well and let's not forget the trends it'll it'll move with a trend so it's like Mm -hmm. two years ago what it was trendy to have like a small waist and large hips and a booty or you know Mm -hmm. whatever it was and you already see the trends moving where it's like okay we're back to thin, and we're back to this and we're back to that so the fact that our bodies which are have a human there's a human attached to them, Right, there's spirit. Right. There's this whole thing. It's really the bodies, right? Because that's what they're looking at. If they want to kind of, you know, close their eyes a little bit and look from far away. And if everybody matches up, then okay, that looks good. Mm-hmm. So your body has to fit into whatever trend or whatever look or whatever brand that the artist or the television show or the performance is going for. Like it's, mm-hmm. you. you have to fit the costume, like you really do.
0: I have two last questions for you. Yes. What do you think you've gained in recovery?
1: Mm. What have I gained in recovery? I think I have a strong sense of who I am. And I think I have a strong sense of where my center is and knowing when my center is off. So I can feel when my center is off because I understand what it feels like to come back to center. So I think. Knowing when I've stepped over an edge, I can now completely see that I've stepped over that edge, and I can work myself back without beating myself up or continuing off the other side of the edge. Mm-hmm. Finding the balance, finding finding my center, would be absolutely what I've what I've done. Amazing, and here's the last question. Um,
0: I always say that I'm not in the. Uh, I'm not. In the profession of giving advice uh but i would ask you do you have any suggestion for anyone who might be suffering right now
1: i would say have patience first and foremost because i i think when we decide if 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 we want to help ourselves patience is always the key find somebody who you can really confide in and i don't mean like i mean the friend that lets you eat a pie and then go home and puke and come back and still hang out. Right, right. Finding finding that person in your life that you can truly confide in will help you be able to work through the cobwebs because you do there's a lot of work that needs to be done when you have to go into recovery for an addiction. So finding someone who you can truly be authentically honest with and it might be someone that you might not even think of. Like it it doesn't have to be necessarily your best friend, but finding that person that can you can kind of lean on in those moments. And then I would say like everything in life is to give yourself grace, just to give yourself some, some moments where if you do go over that edge and you do step over the edge, you're giving yourself enough grace to come back. Because the worst thing you can do is, is beat yourself up and fall over the cliff. You just have to have the space to step back into your center. Mm-hmm.
0: Amazing. Carrie Lachlan. Oh hey!
1: my God. Thank you.
0: Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. I love talking to you. I have missed you for so many years and and we never got to talk this deep. I don't think, but, but I do. Oh man. I, I hope to stay really in close touch with you. I just think you're yes. fantastic. If you guys haven't tuned into her HGTV She's a big deal and she's so lovely. So, you know, look her up if you don't already know her. Thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. And I have to say
1: Sky sends his love before I leave. He sends his love. I (laughs) love Sky so much.
0: And you mentioned him, so he gets put in the program notes. So he's gonna also be tagged, tagged in the situation. (laughs) He can hear his name. I love Sky. I miss him as well. And I just wish you guys the best. Thank you so so much for coming on.
1: Thank
2: you. Mm
0: Sometimes doing this podcast feels like speaking into a void. Although I know there are listeners, sometimes it just feels like I'm talking out loud into nothingness. When Carrie messaged me saying she related to what I had said on a recent episode, I felt relief, gratitude, and most of all, I felt heard. The way Carrie has navigated from her disordered eating and symptoms to recovery is truly remarkable. Looking at her now, I would have never known she struggled so much. Her introspective account of how she got the love and care she was literally starving for is one I think a lot of us can relate to. I'm so thankful Carrie was willing to be so candid and take a bit of time out of her busy schedule to be a part of Gray Maybe. After Carrie and I wrapped this episode, she reached out with some reflection and wanted to offer this statement. While I may have made light at times about my personal experience with my eating disorder, I want to make it clear that these struggles, along with body dysmorphia and disordered eating, are serious issues. If you or someone you know are going through a similar situation, please consider reaching out for professional help. No matter where you are on your journey, getting the right support from a professional can make a significant difference in your mental and physical well-being and help you reclaim control over your life. I hope you found something that resonated in my conversation with Carrie today. If you're listening to this episode and you're realizing that you're more like Carrie and I than not, welcome, and I hope this helps you take a step in the direction of recovery if you haven't already. You're not alone. Just a reminder for anyone who needs to hear it, you don't need to wait until you're sick enough to get help. In fact, you don't have to be sick at all, just a desire to feel a little better. If you're listening and right now you're struggling with an ED, disordered eating or other behaviors, welcome. Know that whatever you're feeling, there are those among us that have probably felt it too. You're not alone. If you're listening because you have someone you love in your life that is suffering or is in recovery for an ED, welcome. You are also not alone. Even having an eating disorder myself, I have not reacted the best I could to others who were struggling before my own recovery. I've attached the do's and don'ts of how to deal with someone's suffering in the show notes, as well as how to contact Carrie and myself and various links for help and recovery when and if you're ready. If you've made it this far, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you were able to find something relatable in today's episode. As I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, this is also a social experiment to see if in telling my story, I can embolden listeners to share their stories. If you'd like me to read your recovery story on this topic, anonymous or otherwise, on the podcast, please email graymaybestories@gmail.com. at gmail.com. G-R-E-Y-M-A-Y-D-E-S T-O-R-I-E-S at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who helped make this Gray Maybe podcast happen producer and editor Roderick Barge, cover photo by Jose Perez, music licensed by Pixabay, special counsel Jada Ellingham and Roderick Barge. Special shout out to supporter Patty Olgin. If you'd like to support this podcast, please rate, share, comment, and subscribe. Until next time, bye for now.